0: judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learned there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. I hope you enjoyed our fun little ama
0: last week two weeks ago what are you talking about i'm talking to them (laughs) (laughs) i was like i enjoy everything you do rebecca um (laughs) i i I, yeah well take a compliment wow (laughs) wow your face okay all right i will thank you for the compliment all right, that face is creepy. <laughs> Listen, we do need to do a video. Yeah, podcast. this time we don't even have any backup video because we are filming, filming. We're
1: recording in person today uh, on Baruch campus. Woo-woo. Thanks, yeah. CUNY, for providing shelter. <laughs> so, what's up? How's your How's your week going? what What's What's going on? What's life? Uh, life is weird
0: and crazy. Um,
1: you said that. I, then I started singing the song. Life is life. La, 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 la. (laughs) Life is life.
0: What?
1: I'll show you the video sometime. Okay. We'll post the video because this
0: video is hysterically terrible. I'm so confused. You know what's hysterically terrible? No, this is just hysterical. I was watching The Simpsons because I read some article in the... New Yorker or the New York Magazine? I don't know which one. Drew Barrymore's on the cover. That's okay. the important part. Um, and it was like, oh, The Simpsons are funny again. And I was like, I'll be the judge of that. So <laughs> I started watching season 32. Jesus they had yeah right and they have this episode called now museum now you don't and already you know how much I love puns and it was an episode so basically Lisa is homesick and she doesn't want to like fall behind because she's a nerd so uh, Marge gives her like an art book to read and she's reading this book and it's all about different like artists and she, like, is reading one to Bart. And then Bart goes, do you have one about a stupid fat guy whose wife is too good for him? And it's, like, so mean. But I was like, oh, they're going to talk about Frida Kahlo next Sunday," <laughs> And they did. And it was so good. And it was very true to life. And it was really funny. And Marge is Frida. And Homer is... Diego Rivera? Diego Rivera. I was, like, de Gaulle. Yeah. But I was like, that's <laughs> not right. <laughs> and it's just, it's very funny. And it was it was very true to life. Like, remember how... Um, When we covered her, we talked about the newspaper that came and was like, "Painter's wife travels along with him," and it was like, "Lonely painter has lonely painter's wife might have hobby." Like it was like some (laughs) joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, very funny. So like, and it's nice that we like you
1: can watch that now. I love when you when you watch something and you just get the references mm-hmm. because you know the background like it's not less or it's not not funny because you don't get it but yeah. it's
0: extra funny when you do there's cuz it's like haha that's a thing that actually happened mm-hmm. like they made it funnier but it's like sadly someone did write an article about her being like a nothing like it, uh, to me it's always insert like captain
1: america meme there like i understand that reference <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's cool. I might have to check that out because I don't watch a lot of Simpsons, but you mm. know. Uh, it's on
0: Disney Plus, like all of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, do, I, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't, I don't know okay. why. But it is. So. All right. Well, there we go. That's where it is. That's where they live that's,
1: now. That's where it's at. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, it wasn't this past week, but it was the week before we went to a talk at the Tribeca Festival, oh. as it's called now, because it's more than films or something. Did they take out the film part? I don't know. Like, the email I got just said Tribeca Festival. Maybe it's a bit of both. Weird. It was <clears throat> weird, because it had, like,
0: audio or, like, podcast stories. And, mm-hmm. I don't know. But, yeah, it was a really cool talk. Yeah, it was called um, Who's Scared Now? And it was, like, uh, feminism perspectives and horror. And we saw... Kate Siegel um, she was in the movie Hush which is really great it's on Netflix and like as we're sitting there I was like wait I was trying to show her back I was like she's in this movie and then I look it up and she like co-wrote it and I was like whoa you are far more impressive to me now like you were already pretty cool she's also in all those spooky things on Netflix like The, the ha- Haunting of Hill House is the one that I saw Yes, and then there's she like
1: the youngest sister as an adult is that who she plays she's I couldn't remember the, I think she's
0: the oldest sister No. I don't remember. The casting on that show is great because they all do look related. Yeah. Like all of them do. Um, but there's like three of them, I think. I only really liked the first one. I I liked the first one up until the
1: last episode. And so I mm. never ended up watching the other ones. But uh-huh. um, I, I thought the first one had so many cool places it could go. And then it just kind of like fell a little flat for me. But... The writing in the first several episodes was
0: excellent. like it it caught me. Um, And they basically talk about what it's like being a woman in horror, like what's the future for it. And she said something so cool that I never thought of. She was saying that um, what she loves about horror is... Not having to be pretty or think about being pretty. Yeah. Um. Like she's not worried about like, does this angle make her face look weird? She, would she look pretty if she took her pants off in the scene? Like, you can just be in the moment and be in the horror, and that's such a real thing. It was a very very good talk. Yeah. I wish we could have recorded it, like the right? Tribeca Film Festival or Tribeca Festival, <laughs> as they want to be called. I don't know. There, <laughs> everything. So I went to another event which was awesome. It was the 25th anniversary of how Stella got her groove back. And it had a talk with the director who I've forgotten his name. And I feel bad. I'll put it on the thing later. Um, And Angela Bassett. Oh, she was there. Angela motherfucking Bassett. Yes. And she was in the same space. No. Okay. I was like, Oh my God, if you had been that close to her, (laughs) I'd be absolutely dead. So like the thing about like the Tribeca Film Festival, Tribeca Festival, whatever we're calling it, Everything is so like, yeah, sure, just go ahead. And I was like, can we record here? And this guy was like, yeah, I'm, like, why not? And I was like, because like, it's a movie and that's like a big celebrity. And usually people don't let you like record stuff. So this one guy was recording like the whole Angela Bassett thing. And like, we were close enough that I was just staring into her face. And if you've listened to this podcast before, or if you listen to It's a and thing, you know how I ob- obsessed I am with Angela Bassett. Yeah. So there was a moment. I got so dizzy because I was like, is this real? This is happening. Fantastic. But she was really, really great. She said some great things about um, Whoopi Goldberg because they're in that movie together. Okay. That movie is – have you ever seen that movie? prepared to be disappointed. You I
1: mean it. I haven't but it it is actually on my list of f- films that I would like to see that okay. I just haven't gotten around
0: to. It's also like a super black film so I'm like well and not... I feel like when
1: it came out that was probably my impression and why I didn't watch it initially Fair. but now it would yeah. definitely be something
0: I would watch. Yeah no I think it's it's really great. It's very it's way funnier than I remembered and it's got like a great it's got great female friendships and great female interactions mm-hmm. that I think that we all just like slept on before and like seeing it, or I guess cause I was, I was far too young to see it when I saw it. Right. Like I, I definitely I had you like saying that at some yeah, point. <laughs> I had saw like my mom's like VHS copy of it. And I was like, I'm too young for this naked shower scene. <laughs> but Angela Blastis says something really cool about that. Like there's a naked shower scene, but she's not naked, but Tay Diggs is naked. And then she's like, cause it's my fantasy. He's naked, not me. And I was like, Fantastic. And the director was like, yeah, like, I asked my wife, I asked my female friends, like, what their fantasy was. Because, like, this movie was from the female perspective. But I'm a male director. Like, what do I know? I had to, like, go outsource ideas. And I'm like, sir. But he did that work? Amazing, He did that work 25 years ago. He did that
1: work. All right. Work. Now I definitely have to see it. It's, yeah. it's on my list. Yeah, for, it, Like, it's, it's moved to the top mm-hmm. now.
0: <laughs> it, the book is by Terry McMillan. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That name... Brings the um, bell. For she sure. also wrote "Waiting to Exhale." Okay, yes. So like those books are fin- Like both those books are very good. So if you're looking for a book recommendation, that and then also then watch the movie. Like both are very very good. And okay, I know it's. I just love the idea of like female friendships that aren't about bullshit. Like you're not trying yes. to compete. There's no well, if you get this, then I can't have this. Like, they just support each other. Right? It's that's so nice. Uh,
1: that's, yeah. So, like, you know, everyone here, if you've listened to more than this episode, knows that I love Ted Lasso. And one of my favorite parts of that show is actually the relationship between the two principal female characters mm-hmm. and just the honesty. Like, there's a, a scene where where one of them's like, I haven't figured out what to tell people when I'm in public and I have to go take a shit. And the other one's like, oh, I tell them I have to like, I forget, it was some makeup thing that she has to like reapply her, nose. Her, reapply her eyeliner. <laughs> Women know it takes a long time and men have no clue. So like, but they just like, they talk about that. That's funny. They talk about shit in front of each other, you know, but not like graphic, but like, yeah, it's just not. There's no step in, tiptoeing around things, and it's also calling each other out on their bullshit when mm-hmm. there is bullshit, but, like, saying, no, like, you deserve this, you've worked hard for this, yeah. you, like, I'm encouraging you in X, Y, and Z, and that's one of my favorite parts of that show. So, yeah, I am definitely in for a movie that's all about female friendships uplifting one another. Also... A very sexy,
0: Tate Diggs. Oh. Well, okay, yes. <laughs> I mean, you've got the eye candy in the film. It's it's very good. It's a win-win. <laughs> it is a win-win. <laughs> Um, I have one last Tribeca Film Festival, whatever we're calling it thing. Okay. But like, does it, it directly affects, but doesn't directly affect. So I was watching New York One, which is the best news channel in the world. And they had an interview with Jennifer Esposito. And she was talking about how she's been trying to make this film called uh, Fresh Kills for 13 years. Like she wants to write. About undirected. the landfill. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I love it. <laughs> she's Do from Staten Island. I All think that's right. a that, I mean it's probably a It might be a double joke, entendre. Probably. <laughs> so her idea was that like in Goodfellas and Sopranos like you see the men doing like the mob stuff and the dirty work and you see the women like putting down plates of food or like you see them just like in the sidelines and she's like I want to know what that woman's thinking and I want to know you know, what's her play in all of this? Like, how does she feel about the things that she's involved in? And I was like, yo, that sounds really awesome. I bet it I is want a to double. I this movie. I'm sure it I is. I hope it is. Yeah. So she <laughs> was I like... I I not have to feel so dumb for saying that. <laughs> you said it with so much, like, energy. I was like, yeah, like, the landfill. All right. So basically, like, she's trying to get this movie done for the last 13 years. She's mortgaged her house twice. Oh. Because she wants to write and direct. And people are like, oh, okay, like, we'll give you funding for this. But, like, we're going to put this male director. And she's like, no. No. So she's, like, held onto her principles and, like, not let anyone else touch this besides her. And it's taken 13 years to get me. So in the interview, she's wearing, like, a leather hat and a leather jacket. And I'm just like, Jennifer, it's, like, 70 degrees in New York City. Like, why are you wearing this outfit? Cut to, I'm out with my family for Father's Day dinner And we're in like this tiny Greek restaurant in the East Village. And I look over and I see the back of someone's head and they're wearing a leather hat and a leather jacket. And I was like, that's Jennifer Esposito. My husband's like, what? And I was like, that is Jennifer Esposito. And then he's like, how do you even know? And like she starts to turn because like she's getting hugs from people at the bar. And I'm just like, hi. And she makes eye contact. She comes over and I'm like, I'm so proud of you and your movie. Like, I haven't seen it yet. I want to see it. And she's like, yeah, it literally just came out today. Like, we I were working on, like, distribution. And I was like, I am so glad that you were able to make this without changing all your principles. And she's like, thank you. And I'm like, congratulations. Like, I was just so excited That's awesome. to tell her I want to see this film. And, like, yeah. of course, it came out that day. And, like, Tribeca Film Festival is over. So it has to get distribution for me to see it unless she's listening to this and just wants to send me a copy. <laughs> um, I really do want to Did see it. Did you give it. her a card? No. Listen, <laughs> half the people at my table were like, who's that? what are you doing there were a bunch of people behind her it was awkward like I was like I can't because I was like I would love to take a picture because I really liked you and Crash but like I it was too much so I was like what do I want to do right now the most in this moment I want to tell her that I'm so proud that her vision came out like you know that's what? awesome that's,
1: of those choices that's the best one yeah. I hands
0: down agree with, yeah. your,
1: with your decision there
0: <laughs> so I wasn't going to be like oh also can we take a picture but I was just like I am so glad that you got your movie made on your principles, like how you want it to, and like she never compromised. Like that's and it took for fucking ever. And I was like, and it's a shame it took that long, but I'm so glad that it like finally got done. And she's like, oh my God, me too. And she's like, We're gonna get distribution, you'll be able to see it. And I was just like, yes. That's awesome. Opening day, I'm there. It's called Fresh Kills. And I really hope that it is a double entendre. Because yes. she is from Staten Island. I need that now. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, so we're kind of short on time today. So let's uh let's dig into our topic for today. So this week, we're going to be discussing the Queen of Soul, the one and only Aretha Franklin. We'll talk about the influence of her family life on her career, the ups and downs of her experiences
1: in the music industry, and how she's been perceived as a diva, both in the positive and negative
0: sense of the word. Then we'll cover some of the reasons she may have made the decisions she did in both her personal life and in her career. Finally, we'll look at her activism, awards, and influence on the world of music today. So, trigger warnings, we're going to be discussing domestic violence, sexual assault, teen pregnancy, and alcoholism. Aretha Louise Franklin was born March 25th, 1942, in Memphis, Tennessee. Fun fact, she was delivered in her family's home. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they were doing and. In- 1942 how I mean they're still but sounds like it was more just like it happened before they I don't know knew what was going I on guess <laughs> I, I feel like people didn't plan for that back then it was probably like hospital please hospital now yeah her parents were Barbara Siggers Franklin and Clarence LaValle Franklin her father was a Baptist minister and a traveling preacher and
1: her mother was a piano player and singer the Franklin family was large her parents both had children from prior relationships the family moved from Tennessee to Buffalo, New York, and eventually settled in Detroit by the time Aretha was five.
0: So Aretha didn't have a rags-a-riches story. She did endure trauma. We'll get there. But her family didn't struggle to put food on the table. Both of her parents were performers, and they made money at it.
1: All right. Well, the family didn't have money issues, life was still rocky. Her parents cheated on one another and fought constantly. Sometimes the violence became physical. Finally, her mother decided to leave. In 1948, Barbara Franklin moved back to Buffalo, only bringing her son, Vaughn, Aretha's half-brother.
0: Aretha recalls seeing her mother often for summer vacations and visits, but her father was her primary caretaker. Her mother later died of a heart attack when she was only 10 years old, leaving her father and grandmother as her closest family members. In her first biography titled, From These Roots, Aretha isn't able to deeply talk about the loss of her mother. But she does say, I cannot describe the pain, nor will I. Other family members gave more insight into it, saying her father was afraid that Aretha would never recover, that she was unable to talk for weeks. She crawled into a shell and didn't come out until many years later. Without me, without the music, I'm not sure Aretha would have ever found her way out of her shell.
1: I mean, yeah, having to deal with a trauma like that and the grief, that's, that's pretty big at yeah. such a young
0: age. It's like a double loss because, like, she left and then, like,
1: she mm-hmm. died. Yeah. Well, let's talk about her father for a moment, more commonly called C.L., He was known as the man with the million-dollar voice for his preaching abilities. He was also well-known for his work as a civil rights activist. He brought the church world to the fight for civil rights and often held get-togethers for like-minded people.
0: He was allegedly... Also a bit shady, and he may have had relations with some of the underage girls at his church. So says the rumor. Jeez, no, yes. yeah, it's like, oh, he seems like a good guy. Go- oh, infidelity not. is one
1: thing that I like. I absolutely can't stand, mm-hmm. but like, infidelity with children, it's like <laughs> way worse.
0: Yeah, statutory rape. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so. There were rumors, but because he was this famous preacher, people came to visit him. Various celebrities were always at the house. Some of his visitors were gospel musicians like Mahalia Jackson, Clara Ward, and James Cleveland. Martin Luther King Jr. was a family friend and also soul singers Jackie Wilson and Sam Cook. Those are some big names right there. Those oh, are like huge names, like just like drinking like soda on your front step on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Being surrounded by so many outspoken and talented people influenced Aretha.
1: She learned how to play piano by ear and begin to sing solos at church. While she was a shy and sad girl, she was known to get excited about music and performing. And that's, you know, as her family said, what brought her we out brought of her shell. Her
0: yeah. So like we said, her father was very popular and would regularly host parties. He would often wake Aretha up to perform for his party guests. It was at one of these parties that Aretha was raped at the age of 12. Shit. She tells no one. She stops speaking. But after a few months, she is visibly pregnant. When asked who the father is, Aretha refuses to give a name. So there was a lot of speculation over the years. And later in life, Aretha herself would give different accounts to how she became pregnant. Her son Clarence was born in 1955. He's named after her father. (sighs) Sorry, that's just like, that's 12 years old. That's so,
1: so scary and sad and all those things you don't even know
0: what is happening to your body at that point
1: right aretha's grandmother and sister came to help raise the baby while aretha started her freshman year at northern high school she ended up dropping out by her sophomore year when she found herself pregnant again in 1957 at the age of 14 aretha had her second child named edward after his father edward jordan very little is known about him
0: So let's jump into the late 50s. Let's twist into the late 50s. Isn't that what they did? The twist? The twist, yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds right. Um, So late 50s, Aretha is a mother of two. She's been traveling with her father on his gospel caravan tours. She's performing in various churches. People love her voice. The publicity from the gospel circuit helps her to get her first record deal, and she signs with JVB Records. Okay. Her first record is recorded in her father's church, New Bethel Baptist Church. So Franklin sang and played the piano. By 1956, her first single was released, and it was called Never Grow Old. By the time she was 16, she was well-known in the gospel music
1: world. She left her children with her sister and went on tour with Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, He was, as we mentioned, an old family friend, and Franklin wanted to use her voice to sing freedom songs, march, and to get younger people interested in the movement for black liberation. When she was 17, Franklin's father decided that after five years of singing with his traveling gospel show, she was ready to pursue her singing in New York City. CL acted as Aretha's manager and held a tight grip on her career. He believed his daughter was blessed with a divine gift and became very protective of that gift. Mm, Yeah, we've seen that kind of thing before. Mm -hmm. Uh, He thought that her voice came from the Lord and that she should only sing gospel music because of this. So that's a different layer of uh, possessiveness over a woman's voice, but it's still there.
0: So after passing on an offer from Barry Gordy from Motown Records in Detroit, which I feel like is a big mistake, huge. huge. Yeah,
1: that's that's a big deal. <laughs> because I feel
0: like like she got famous, but I feel like if she would have been with Motown from the beginning, it would have been a much direct more direct route to fame. And what we're assuming that some of this had to do with her father's influence, no? For sure, for sure. I feel like he probably was like, I don't like the vibes at Motown. They're smoking, they're drinking, they're doing the twists. Like, it's too much. <laughs> I want you to only do secular music. No. Secular music is secular music. Gospel music. Yeah. Yes. Secular music is bad. <laughs> Gospel music is good. But it's all good music, Brent. <laughs> is this how you feel when I, like, ask you if you've seen a movie? Because I'm like, what's ha- What's Brent? <laughs> like, they're all good dogs, Brent. I still don't know what that okay. is. Okay,
1: it's a we love we rate dogs. You know that account we rate dogs.
0: No, the,
1: people send in pictures of their dogs and they rate them, and and they're always like fourteen out of ten. Oh, okay. Out of 10, I was right? like,
0: what fucked up site
1: is this <laughs> where no, they're gonna
0: rate some adorable dog? Well, chew. But How they dare always they? rate the, and, okay, good. or they'll
1: say like, um, you know, we don't rate bears, only dogs, because the ba- the dog will be all. Bushy and fluffy like a bear or something. Anyway, but one guy commented on them and was like, "Oh, you guys never really rate the dogs. You always say that they're like more than ten. Like no one's ever less than twelve out of 10 and, and and made some comment and and like I responded, "They're all good dogs, Brent." <laughs> like because <laughs> the guy was like, "They couldn't all be good dogs or whatever." <laughs> yeah, they they're could all be all good, good dogs, dog, Brent. Okay, so. fair. That's where that came from. Now it's less funny because I explained
0: it. But <laughs> but now I understand because before I just like was staring at you. I was like, I don't know what that means. And I don't know how to like say I don't know what that means. I just stare for a while because I was like, I'll get it. Because I feel like my brain knows a lot of stuff. But there's some references you throw at me that I'm just like.
1: Yeah, I do that to Sean 20 years in and I still throw him off with references.
0: <laughs> anyway, back to back, back to Aretha. Anyway, so CL pitched uh, Aretha to Columbia Records. They loved her because, of course, they did. They have ears. So she's 18, and now she's signed to one of the biggest record labels in America. Aretha does a crossover from gospel to pop. It didn't sit well with her father, but he knew that she would get a bigger audience. So... The decision really wasn't up to him because Aretha had new representation. Yes, enter Theodore Richard White. He and
1: Franklin met at her childhood home at a family party. After a few weeks of dating, the two were married by a justice of the peace in 1961. Franklin was now 19 years old,
0: but White was 30. Could you imagine when you were 19? Like, think of both. Like, when I was 30, mm-hmm. my first turn 30, I'm hanging out with nineteen-year-olds. What are they doing? No, Jesus. anyone who was
1: nineteen that I was hanging around with when I was thirty was my student.
0: Yeah, I like they, so no. It would not have made <laughs> like neither makes sense because when I was nineteen, I wouldn't want to hang out with a thirty-year-old person. I would have thought they were like so ancient. <laughs> like I would have <laughs> been like, oh, uh, what are you doing? Voting and like g- paying your mortgage. And nowadays,
1: those thirty-year-olds would be born. Back in the late 1900s. That's so
0: weird to me <laughs> that people call it that.
1: Like, it's, it, it feels they really do. disrespectful. I know. I'm just I, like, I, <laughs> The first time a student said it out loud in my classroom, I, like, fell back against the
0: chalkboard. I was like, well, <laughs> what what did you just do to me? I am deceased. It's <laughs> so funny because, like, when I was younger, I was like, ugh, 30. You're so old. You might as well just stay home. And now I'm, like, over 30. And I'm like, yeah, I might as well just stay home. <laughs> I should because everything is terrible. The world's on fire. But, like, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I've I have, I have yeah. Disney Plus at my house. Like why would I why should I leave? And why would I want to <laughs> hang out with a 19-year-old? Gross. Like you're never in the same circles. That's why when Gen Z or X whoever they are is like, "Oh, Z." Z. <laughs> Oh, uh, why do you part your hair on the side? Mind your whole fucking business. Like, who are you? They, they are. Well, we were twenty years no, ago, right? I, I wasn't attacking thirty-year-olds. There was. It was just like, why am I talking about a thirty-year-old? They're basically dead. Like, there, there would be no reason to. Basically
1: dead. I was just I like, they're old. That reminds me, of, like when I was like third grade. My mom asked me like, oh, you know, Ashley's my sister, like, Mm -hmm. oh, what's your teacher like? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like middle age. She's like, she's like, oh, okay. So she's like 60 or something, 50. And I was like, no, I think she's like 20. And because to me, (laughs) middle age was between me and my
0: mom. (laughs) (laughs) She's not as old as you. She's not as young as me. She's somewhere in there. She's middle aged. But yeah, I don't think that I cared what 30 year olds did because I was like, Mm-hmm. I'm young and I'm doing stuff and they're old and they're not. Yeah. And now that I'm old and I'm not I'm like, that's fine. I'm gonna wear my skinny jeans. Yeah. So she gets married to white. There's a big age difference. He's 30 years old. and you know, he becomes the manager, right? Yeah, because he's an adult. He's a professional oh. with like a job. He becomes her manager and what are his qualifications? His qualifications are that he owned a chain of jukeboxes and occasionally wrote songs. Uh, okay cool 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 so rumors we talk a lot about rumors in this episode this is not a Fleetwood Mac episode but we're gonna talk about rumors <laughs> that was so good I'm awesome um anyway so rumors describe him as being a pimp in Detroit okay um, we can't confirm or deny but there are people in their surrounding circles that were like yeah that guy was just a pimp all right which I mean it's management Okay,
1: well, <laughs> same skill set. Okay. Right? Yep. Well, back at Columbia Records, the writers and producers didn't really know what to do with Franklin's voice. They released the album Aretha in 1961. Only two songs made it to the R&B top 10 chart. Only one other song made it to the top 10. Well, not the top, but it made it to number 37 on the pop charts. After five years of lackluster success, manager slash husband, white, slash pimp, pimp, uh, decided that a change was in order and Franklin signed to Atlantic Records.
0: So at Atlantic, she met producer Jerry Wexler, a.k.a. the man who invented rhythm and blues. So, okay, our podcast is not about celebrating men. But this dude had such an ear on him. So Wexler was born in 1917. Talk about old. (laughs) In uh, Washington Heights. That's in New York. So he was obsessed with collecting records and listening to jazz. And he was always looking for something new. So here's a little list of uh, some of the songs that he produced. Ray Charles, I Got a Woman. The Drifters, There Goes My Baby. Wilson Pickett in The Midnight Hour, and Our Lady of the Hour, Aretha Franklin, he produced Respect, but he also worked with Etta James, Willie Nelson, and Dusty Springfield. He also coined the term rhythm and blues. Okay. He knew what so, he was doing.
1: Yeah, he, he definitely did. Things at Atlantic were drastically different from her former record label, where she was told to tone down her vocals, to sing to a white audience. Wexler told Franklin to drop the Judy Garland cabaret act. He had her play the piano herself and focus on her natural church trained way of singing. Franklin learned more about the way music was made and was encouraged to riff and find her own style. It was because of this direction and her natural talent that Aretha Franklin was declared the Queen of Soul. After hearing her perform live in 1962, a radio personality named Pervis Span actually was the one who declared her as this Queen
0: of Soul, and the name stuck. <laughs> So while her music career was finally starting to go in the right direction, her marriage was not. It was starting to crumble. Things with White weren't great. So White and Franklin connected over the music, writing songs together often. But that's kind of where their unity ended. In a 1968 cover story, Time magazine portrayed Aretha as a larger-than-life performer who could command any stage, but off stage, she was a shy and reserved. She was as shy and reserved as she had been as a child. In the Times profile, she was asked about this dynamic. Her response was I've been hurt. I've been hurt bad. The magazine goes on to tell the story of White assaulting Franklin in the lobby of the of Atlanta's Regency Hyatt House Hotel. That's too many names for a hotel. Yes. Like pick one. Regency Hotel, Hyatt Hotel, Hat. Like that's too many. <laughs> So that, unfortunately, was not the first time that he had assaulted her. And he assaulted her in the lobby. Like, I feel like. Right. If you're going to get to the point where you're doing that in public. Yeah. What happens behind closed yeah. doors? Yeah. Like, that's kind of insane. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And she had come from a, a background where that was normalized almost between yeah. her parents. So anyway, Aretha had gone from a smothering and controlling relationship with her father to a controlling and abusive relationship with White. She channeled her sadness into music and, unfortunately, also into alcohol. Franklin felt trapped, and her escape became drinking heavily. At first, only close friends and colleagues knew, but as the drinking got worse, it became publicly visible. She arrived late for shows, and in 1967, she fell off the stage during a performance and broke her
0: arm. That same year, Franklin released Respect. It was amazing and loved on the R&B charts and the pop charts as well. It was originally written and performed by Otis Redding. He sang the song Try Little Tenderness. Yeah, and Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's I, my favorite. Try Little Tenderness is my favorite because of... Have you seen Pretty in Pink? You've seen yes. Pretty in Pink. Okay. When Ducky like, sings it? I Listen, I saw shop. it once like 100 years ago, so... Plane, That's not a name. That's an appliance. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that line. So Franklin and her sisters rearranged respect, making it their own. The song was empowering to women everywhere. So empowering that Franklin left her abusive husband. I love that she empowered herself through the like remastering of this song. Yes, I mean we can't really say that like this is why she left her husband. No, but but we can assume and like think that you know it must have factored into it. Mm-hmm. Um, they were divorced in 1969. She left the marriage and gained custody of their one child. Not long after Franklin and White's divorce, she began dating Ken Cunningham, the road
1: manager who replaced White for a period of time. Over the course of their six-year relationship, Franklin had another son. She and Cunningham never married, but according to her biography, Franklin calls their time together one of the most lasting and satisfying personal relationships in her
0: life. So I didn't do enough research on her sons, but holy shit, she was pregnant for so long, like very close together. Yeah, I mean, like there there were a couple of years between the the second and I just feel like by the time you like recover and you're like touring, you're doing stuff, and like by the time you recover, then you're like pregnant again.
1: Yeah, well, you know, when birth control is not readily available or is condemned by your religion or whatever the case may be, uh, access to it was maybe for more wealthy people or white people than. yeah, that's the kind of stuff that's going to happen. A woman wants to have sex. Let her have sex. But, I mean, I definitely you know, think it was Not to say a... that she
0: regrets any of this. No, like, no, I course, mean, but... I, I feel like if she did, I mean... She didn't not have money. Like, her her parents had money, but, like, they also were religious. I feel like if she wanted to likely. get a smismortion, she would have gotten a smismortion or, like, <laughs> gave the kid to someone. There would have been someone in her father's church who would have been like, I would love a baby. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't think she, like, regrets any of this. Yeah. I'm just, it's like... It's just a lot... That's so, a yeah. lot like I can't like I can't do laundry and go to the gym in the same day like <laughs> a kid and touring. Oof. Yeah. But back to Aretha because that's who we're talking about today. The divorce left Franklin on her own to manage her kids, her career and her past traumas. She was not handling things well. While the marriage that caused her to drink excessively was over, the addiction was strong, and her drinking was getting out of control. At this time, she was on the rise, becoming a very popular, quote-unquote, new artist, even though she had been making music for years, like people were finally seeing her.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Audiences weren't being introduced to Franklin the church crooner, but as Franklin the troublemaker. Fans saw tabloid headlines about Franklin's reckless driving charge in Detroit and others about being charged with disorderly conduct for allegedly trying to hit two police officers in Michigan. Through the drama, music was made. Hits like I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You and You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman and Chain of Fools were all
0: released as back-to-back hits. Other than falling off the stage once, the drinking didn't really affect Aretha's singing, so it was easy for her to ignore. Even drunk, she could sing better than anyone, and most audiences couldn't tell anything was wrong. But her family and the tabloids noticed. Franklin was a very private person and never publicly acknowledged the rumors of drinking or the tabloid stories of her being a victim of domestic violence. She rarely did interviews, which, of course, led the tabloids to fill in their own blanks. Franklin did not speak publicly about her troubles. However, her
1: siblings and publicists said it was because of her drinking that she missed several shows. Her challenges with addiction were no secret and plagued her for several years. Family and history tells us that to stop drinking, Aretha turned to God for strength, leading her back to the church. Aretha focused all her attention on making a gospel album with a twist. It was a live album. The album Amazing Grace was recorded in January of 1972 at the New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. Talked about too many names for a hotel. That's too many <laughs> names for a church. <laughs> Franklin was backed by Reverend James Cleveland, and the Southern California Community Choir accompanied
0: her performance. So the recording was originally released as a double album on June 1st, 1972 by Atlantic Records. Critics called it the greatest album ever. Those who had no love for gospel music were still moved by her performance. According to her friends and family, Amazing Grace was Franklin's way to fight the urge to drink, and it worked. The church had always been what had gotten her through hard times in her childhood, and Franklin was able to quit drinking in the seventies and never picked it back up. Aretha was finally the one in charge. Not alcohol, not
1: her abusive husband, not her father.
0: Not me, not you, <laughs> not Ron. Ra- no, not Ron, not me, you. Do you know? No, you don't know that reference? No. <laughs> it's from Harry Potter when they're on the chess pieces and like the first or oh, no. Oh gosh, that's, that's... So like there's this girl on TikTok that does it and then she's like, it's gotta be you, not me, not Hermione. Yo and she does like this with <laughs> this like really, really exaggerated accent. It's really funny.
1: Okay. Aretha's brother became her manager at this time and the relationship was in her favor. He provided guidance but let her make the big
0: decisions.
1: A big part of that probably had to do with, like, men having to be managers and having to be producers oh, in the industry, Oh, yeah. Right? I mean,
0: look at, like, Selena, even though it's much years later. Like, they didn't want to pay her the right amount of money because she was a woman, even though her dad was the manager. Like, yeah. if it would have just been Aretha up there being like, hey, how much are you paying me? They'd be like, here's, here's a penny. Yeah. <laughs> Aretha was working on herself. She
1: quit smoking and was focused on vocal training. It's around this time that she notices that if a performance space is too cold, it affects her vocal cords. Her team requests that all air conditioning be turned off when she's rehearsing and performing.
0: I feel like her voice was so unique that this is a fair trade. Like, you get to be a little bit sweaty, but you get to hear her voice live. So, deal with it. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So Aretha's doing things. She's touring, she's writing, she's recording, she's winning awards, she's winning. And when you are winning and you're flourishing, people will try and steal your shine. Mm-hmm. So, Rebecca, we're gonna go on a tiny detour. Okay. And talk about a woman named Vicky Jones. Okay. And I don't know what's coming here. So No, this is all of wine. This feels like this feels like that other podcast of like normal gossip, because they just like tell a story and then like they get your reaction. Okay. This is gonna be like that. <clears throat> We're borrowing it, not stealing it. Don't sue us, normal gossip. Can you sue over, like, podcast stuff like that? I mean, we're not making money off of their stuff, so. (laughs) Like, you can't. I don't know what they'd sue us for. Pennies. You have these mic poppy things. Yeah. So, Vicky Jones was born Mary Jane Jones, and she grew up singing in the church just like Aretha. The things they have in common continue. They're both single mothers. They both escaped violent marriages. They're both curvy women with short hair. And they both performed under the name Aretha Franklin. Wait, what? What? Yes. Yes. So it started innocently enough. Joan was looking for a way to pad her income. She started singing in nightclubs. She wore fancy dresses to disguise herself. See, she was big in the church. And this was a no-no for her religious community. Oh, okay. I was like... Was she trans or something? I was very... She just liked Jesus, and her church was like, you can't do both. Gotcha. So she didn't want to be recognized, so she'd always dress up. So she's also a big fan of Franklin. So she added some of her songs to her act. So Jones was noticed one night by a man named Lavelle Hardy. Okay. He was a James Brown impersonator. Sometimes he passed himself off as the actual James Brown. So let's establish right now that this man is a liar gotcha he's he's trash so anyway jones anyway he tells jones that he's going on tour with the real aretha franklin in florida and that jones would make a perfect opening act he promises her $1000 for six shows she was currently making $10 a show so like this is an upgrade right sure so if she could make it down to florida from virginia the money was all hers so jones is like this is a perfect deal i love aretha franklin like i'll get to work with her i'll get to open up It's only Florida, you know, but she has no money. So she goes to a local money lender to afford the bus ticket. So she gets to Florida. Hardy goes, great, you made it. Actually, you aren't opening up for Aretha. You are Aretha. Oh, so Jones is like, um, no, that sounds like trouble. I like Aretha and people aren't going to be fooled. This is a terrible idea. Like, I'm not doing this. Okay. So Hardy's counterpoint Do it or I'll kill you and dump your body in the fucking ocean. that escalated quickly. Jesus. (laughs) Uh, You'll never see your kids again. So Vicky's like, okay, good counterpoint. Um, Also, she borrowed money from a local money lender, which to me sounds like somebody who would do the same thing if she came back without the money. Sure. Also, she only borrowed enough money for the ticket down there. Because she figured she'd be making all this money per show and it'd be easy enough to get back. So she's got...
1: why are men yes
0: she's like all right i'm gonna do the show i'm gonna make my money i'm gonna go back to virginia i'm gonna pay that loan shark maybe i'm never gonna see the suit again so she takes the sages aretha hardy gives her her cut they split ways do you think that that's where the story ends i mean i don't think you would ask me that if it did but i wish it did (laughs) of course it doesn't because we have established that hardy is a hot trash liar he says, don't worry, sweetheart. I'll pay you at the end of the tour. But just so you don't go anywhere, I'm going to lock you in your hotel room until performance time. That's cool, right? And I'm going to give you food. Don't worry about it. Here's two hamburgers every day. OK, so this is now trafficking, kidnapping and trafficking. Yes. Anyway, Hardy is like, I cannot believe this is working because he... Didn't think this was going to work as well as it did. But people love fucking Aretha Franklin. And this woman sounds so much like Aretha Franklin that it was like you would look at her and be like, eh, no. And then she starts singing and you're like, well, I've never seen Aretha Franklin up close. I don't follow her on Instagram. I don't know what she looks like. Also, (laughs) it's like the 60s. So there is no Instagram. So he doesn't believe it's working, but he's just like... Let's keep it going. Mm -hmm. This gravy train is gravy. Let's keep doing it. So he reaches out to more venues and he's like, hey, Aretha Franklin's on vacation and she's looking to do some smaller gigs while she's like, you know, chilling on the beach. And here's where he fucks up. He gets her to perform at the Hi-Hat Club in Fort Myers. It's the biggest venue he's ever tried this grift at. 1,400 seats. So he gets Franklin, a.k.a. Jones, booked for $7,000. The show is sold out. The crowd is packed. They love her. They give her a standing ovation. The crowd loved it so much that there was a review written in the local paper. So now the real Aretha Franklin's booking agent is like, hey, let's like get some gigs down in Florida. Let's like talk to some people. And they're like, oh, yeah, she was just here and everybody loved it. Here's this review. And her people are like, "Um, oh. (laughs) <laughs> she's she's in Detroit. What are you talking about? So they immediately were like, uh, "We're confused. We're calling our fucking lawyers." So they call their lawyers, and their lawyer reaches out to a prosecutor of Marion County. His name is Gus Musla Musley. I'm just gonna call him Gus because his last name is hard, and Gus sounds very cool. Mm-hmm. So Gus is like, cool, picks up the phone. Hey, this is Aretha Franklin's lawyers. And they're like, do you know who Aretha Franklin is? And he was like, yeah, I do. My wife loves her. We have tickets to see her next week. And the lawyers are like, are you sure about that? So Gus and the police do their jobs. And Hardy and Jones were both arrested. Like, they just shut everything down. Hardy claims that Jones was in on the deal. She knew everything that was happening. She's got half the money. But when Gus hears Jones's tale and he sees the state of her and the lack of money, it was clear, like, who was lying. So he didn't bring any charges. Jones was free to go. But she still had no way to get home because she never got any money ever. So she's just like grateful to be out of jail and she's sitting outside of the courthouse and she's just like, I don't know how I'm getting home, but like, let's just enjoy the fresh air for a minute. So do you think that this story gets better or worse? I don't want it to, but (laughs) I can't imagine it gets better. So she's sitting outside of the courthouse and you think it gets worse. She's approached by a man named... Ray Green. He's a lawyer and an entrepreneur. So he has been hearing about this story and he loves it. He saw her talent. He's into it. He wants to manage her. He wants to advise her. He gives her a contract and a cash advance. She uses that to get herself home, back to her boys. And the reunion is short because he pays for her to come back to Florida. But this time, it's her name on the marquee. She's eaten steaks, not hamburgers. She's headlining this tour and she's performing with Duke Ellington oh, and his shit. band all around Florida. They end up on the cover of Jet magazine. Vicky Jones okay. has a bit of a career for a while. She even gets her own impersonator. Someone pretends to be Vicky Jones. Okay, because you know how it—it's it yeah, yeah. a waterfall. I,
1: I just really expected that to go downhill but I'm glad it
0: didn't because it doesn't seem like she deserved now that she tours around for a little bit she does a couple albums then she gives up music she returns home to spend time with her kids she died in 2000 but like what a life yeah so like the her. real Franklin and her never met but Franklin wasn't put out. Franklin was like, as long as she stopped using my name, like themes are fine. Well yeah,
1: and it wasn't like it was her choice to do it, and as soon as she had the opportunity to not use it, she yeah. used her own name for sure.
0: And uh the villain of our story, Hardy, ended up having to pay so many fines that all the money that he stole got Taken back by Florida. All right. But like, how insane is that? That, That's a wild story. Randomly. I was like, should this be a little rap or can I put this? Can I get this into the episode? Because I was like, it fits so well. Like, it's just kind of crazy. All right. Well,
1: let's get back to the real Aretha. Yes. Like we said, things were going well for her as well. She had a new love in her life. She married actor Glenn Terman on
0: April 11th, 1978 at her father's church. So, you might know Turnman from the film Cooley High, or as the math professor and retired Army Colonel Bradford Taylor on A Different World. Fun fact Aretha Franklin sings the theme song To A Different World. Mm-hmm. He's also a uh, mayor, Clarence Royce, on The Wire. Okay. So, from back then to right now. Mm-hmm. Right now. Well, The Wire. The Wire hasn't been on TV. In, like at least ten years. Okay. Well, right now this,
1: de- this century. What is what is time? <laughs> this, century.
0: It's like, <laughs> this century. If it happened this century, <laughs> uh, I'll allow it. Thank you. Okay, so of course, when things are good, tragedy just like has to come in and shake shit up. So Aretha Franklin is performing at a sold-out show in Las Vegas. Actual Aretha, not yes. Nikki Jones. On June 10th, 1979, when her father, CL, was shot twice, he survived and after a very long hospital stay, he was able to move back to his home. CL needed 24-hour nursing care, so Aretha moved back to Detroit with
1: a team of nurses to take care of him, leaving her new husband and stepkids in California. Now, this period of her life was very stressful. She was spending so much time with her father and still making music. It didn't leave a lot of time to travel back to L.A. to be with Terman. And as he was a working actor, his schedule didn't free him up to visit Detroit often either. The strain was too much, and the couple separated in 1982. The divorce was finalized two years later in 1984, the same year that Franklin's father died. Terman and Franklin stayed friends, and their kids all kept in contact.
0: Now sober, Franklin threw herself into work as a distraction from all of the hardships, like just gesture around and all the shit that's happening. So Franklin switched record companies yet again, signing with Clive Davis's Arista Records. She also had a guest starring role in the comedy musical *The Blues Brothers*.
1: Arista Records had her targeting a younger audience with songs like "Freeway of Love," "Another Night," and "Jumpin' Jack Flash." Franklin got young feet dancing and buying her music, you know. Which was a new audience for Mm -hmm. her. She even did a duet with George Michael. Um, That's pretty cool. I listened to her for, I think, the first time ever today, and it's very
0: good. Well, it was a hit, and it stayed on the charts for a while, so must have been good. Franklin continued to make gospel music, but she didn't really have any huge hits in the 90s. Her final record to land on the top 40 was A Rose is Still a Rose, released released on February 10th in 1998. So I loved the song, and it was like the first song of hers that I had heard that I found on my own. It was produced by Lauren Hill, who was one of my favorites at the time and is also in the music video. Mm-hmm.
1: That same year, she performed at the first annual VH1 Divas Live. It was a benefit for VH1's Save the Music campaign, which donates musical instruments to schools and promotes musical education. The headliners were Celine Dion, Gloria Estefan, Mariah Carey, and Shania Twain, with guest performer Carol King. Um, and this is when a younger audiences are now being introduced to Franklin. Mm-hmm.
0: And maybe not in the best light. This concert had so many moving parts, miscommunications were bound to happen. Firstly, someone at the rehearsal space forgot about the no AC rule. So when Franklin showed up and asked for it to be turned off, it wasn't, so she left. This led to the media to brand her as the biggest diva. One, because of her weight, which, like, fuck you, tabloids, but okay. Um, And two, because because missing rehearsal caused Franklin to step on some toes at the actual show. So, like, she came out a little bit too early. She stepped on other people's cues because, like, she missed rehearsal. Yeah. None of that mattered, though, because reviewers viewers that were there for the performance loved it. John Paralice of the New York Times said, but there was only one real diva on stage, Miss Franklin, who presented the true diva's combination of a remarkable voice, a commanding presence, and a whimsical, mm-hmm. imperious assumption of power. With Miss Franklin around, the rest were, tro- were only troopers. Yes, because, of course, we have to like knock down other women to
1: raise one up right that
0: was the best part of his article oh god he was really nasty to every actually so spoiler alert for all of you we're doing Celine Dion after this and I took a quote that he said because he was very fucking mean (laughs) he was really mean I was like two birds one stone with this article
1: Well, as she got older, Franklin performed less and less. She only showed up for big things. On January 20th, 2009, Franklin made international headlines for performing My Country Tis of Thee at President Barack Obama's inaugural ceremony. She also performed at the 2015 Kennedy Center Honors, where her performance moved President Obama to tears. Her last concert was at the Ravinia Festival on September 3rd, 2017. Her final public performance at an event of any kind, really, was New York City's 25th anniversary gala for the Elton John's AIDS Foundation, which took place November 7th,
0: 2017. Less than a year later, on August 16th, 2018, Franklin died at home of pancreatic cancer surrounded by her friends and family. She was 76 years old.
1: Franklin had the big reputation. See what I did there? <laughs> of being a diva. The term diva used to mean just a famous female opera singer or a famous female singer of popular music, but lately the term has taken a negative turn. It's also defined as a self-important person who is temperamental and difficult to please, and of course, typically used for a woman.
0: It's also known as the female version of a hustler. Okay. That's a Beyonce song. It's like a diva is a female version of a hustler, of a, of a hustler, of a, of a hustler. Now Beyonce's going to sue us. Um, So when did this change happen? According to Vienna Vernos, in her article titled A History of the Diva, over time, the diva in common language has slowly evolved from describing a virtuosic female singer to an insult made to vilify women. In reality, divas are just women who know what they want and demand they get it.
1: But I don't see anything wrong with that, you no. know, and that's the thing. Like, that's the, the mixed, the mixed message that seems to be out there. Anyway. And why? Probably men.
0: <laughs> Just probably men. They're false.
1: <laughs> Aretha spent a lot of her life under the thumb and rule of others. Her father, then her abusive first husband, and even alcohol. When she was free to make her own choices, she did. So some examples of her quote-unquote diva behavior include, you know, she didn't talk a lot. She rarely did interviews. But this wasn't because she was hiding something, but more because she was private. To the press, though, she came off as secretive and standoffish. Family has noted that Franklin was a quiet and shy child. She didn't have her own voice, and when she did speak to the press, they would twist her words. So
0: like, why would she want to talk to them? Mm-hmm. She'd simply say, "I'm not really a talker." The tabloids loved to talk about her weight. Ugh. It would fluctuate over the years, and they never missed an opportunity to make a joke about her weight, leading her leading her to want to speak to them less. She was notoriously hard to photograph. One art director for Vogue once showed up at her home in the suburbs of Detroit for a magazine shoot. Franklin answered the door with rollers in her hair, a sandwich in one hand, a cigarette in the other, and said, this is the picture you want, isn't it? Well, you're not getting it. And I want that to be like my Halloween costume or something. Like, I want that to be me. Just like, you're not getting it. Fuck you. Here's my sandwich. Goodbye. Franklin had a crippling phobia of planes, actually. Um, So after a
1: terrible flight when she was younger, she decided never to get on a plane again. She traveled on a very luxurious bus instead. And if you wanted her to play a gig, you had to give her a lot of notice or change your plans. Because, you know, bus traffic. Yeah, it
0: goes as as, as fast as it can
1: go. The fear caused her to turn down gigs, making her seem demanding and picky.
0: So, like, I'm guessing that her bus was very, very nice, but it didn't fly over, like, fucking traffic. So, there was no way riding on a bus and pooping in a tiny closet is the behavior of someone who's difficult to please. Right? (laughs) Like, it would have been, like, well, I need you to get a plane that doesn't have turbulence. Like, it would have been maybe renting out a giant plane and then, like, balancing. You know, like, if she was so demanding, there would have been a better way. Like, Mm -hmm. I I just think that that's a a cop-out to be like, oh, I don't like the way that this woman behaved. She must have been a bitch. So we spoke about her request that there be no AC as it took a toll on her vocal cords. Did it suck for the people having to play with her? Sure. But her voice was her bread and butter and it wasn't worth the risk. Like completely, you'll sweat it out. You'll be fine. Yeah. After her
1: brother, who was acting as her manager, died, Franklin stepped up and acted as her own attorney. In a world where female musicians were regularly financially ripped off in the 1960s and 1970s, she knew her self-worth and was reportedly tough about money. If she had been a man, though, people would say she was driven and a great businessman for the deals that she was able to negotiate for herself. But of course, as a woman, she was called hard to work with.
0: Do you know that Taylor Swift song that's like, if I was a man, then I'd be the man? Uh, Vaguely, yes. Yeah, I think about that because it's like, oh, you know what, Taylor? You're absolutely right. hmm Because it would have just been like, this man is good with his money. He's a businessman. Like, Trump is a businessman who's, oh like, filed for bankruptcy, like, a million fucking times. But he's so smart about his business. Mm. Uh, anyway, Aretha was called greedy when her contract usually included a large lump sum of her payment in cash. She, quote-unquote, demanded this ahead of every show. But my question is, when does a demand like when does a request become a demand? Like real question because mm-hmm. everything I would see written about her is like she demanded this. And if I'm just like, "Hey, can you like turn the lights off in here cuz it's kind of bright?" When does that become a demand? Like, yeah. Do I put a bunch of exclamation points behind it? Is it literally you just like remove the word please? I guess, but it's I, like this this is stuff that's like people have writers and they have like contracts. Yeah. But I mean, that story that you told obviously it wasn't Aretha Franklin, but like
1: it's easy to get S- like, snubbed of that money. So, yeah. get it in advance, girl. Exactly. People have also questioned her mothering skills. She had four children over the years, but when she was younger, she spent most of her time on tour. The children were looked
0: after by family members. Life on the road wasn't a great place for a kid. And given Franklin's child abuse, she was probably worried about the types of people that would be around her kids on the road. She
1: was also 13 when she had her first child. Mm-hmm. Like, This doesn't mean she was a bad mom, but she was a child herself. Carrying a baby and becoming a mom not only creates physical changes, women also go through mental changes. That combined with the changes you're already going through at that age, like puberty, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that must have been so hard. Franklin was lucky to have a good support system.
0: Aretha refused to name her a child's father, leading people to deem her as just some slut who didn't belong in the church. How could she sing gospel music and be the mother at age at age thirteen? It's called rape. Yes, We've already established. Exactly. This. Yes, I feel like if you're calling a pregnant twelve year old a slut, then there are like bigger problems here. Yeah. Like a lot of things needed to go wrong for someone that young to get pregnant. Like someone failed Aretha at some mm-hmm. point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, a lot of someone's, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Aretha's mother had passed away and her father was very social
1: and a busy preacher. He spent a lot of time on the road as well. His family wasn't always the focus. And while her you know, we're not saying it was the father's fault, like that she was pregnant. But, you know, the parties and the need to be at the center of like the social and political circle Mm -hmm. definitely played a role in in the abuses that she received.
0: So I feel like later on in Aretha's life, Ciel, her father, might have been overcompensating with Aretha because he went from not really paying attention to making 100 percent of her choices. Ciel loved his daughter and believed that her singing was this divine gift and he promised that he would protect that gift. He became so protective that he smothered her. We've seen this with Amy Winehouse, Janet Jackson, Selena, the hard part of the uh, music as the family business. It's that sometimes these women stop being the daughter and become the product. And then you no longer have a father. You have a manager who's looking out for his best, his own best interests. And you're trying to maximize profit. So like, yeah, yeah, people get kind of squished underneath that. With
1: Franklin, this meant keeping her in a box and not letting her experiment with the music she was interested in making. Later, Franklin had her husband as her manager, which gave a controlling, abusive person too much access. White controlled what she did at work and at home. When her career was successful, White took credit, and then when there was a flop, well, that was Franklin's fault. In her autobiography, Franklin speaks very little about White's abuse, saying, I didn't realize I was in way over my head and calls White a take charge kind of guy, which sounds way too nice to me.
0: Yeah, right. So working with family isn't always bad. Franklin's sisters, Irma and Caroline, spent years as her backup singers. They were able to go on the road with her. So when her drinking was really bad, she had damage control and a support system in the form of her sisters.
1: Those same sisters are constantly working to protect Franklin's image to this day. They're very tight with Franklin's legacy. The family is vocal about projects where Aretha is depicted, and the family doesn't approve of the National Geographic series called Genius Aretha. So Franklin's son and granddaughter actually release a statement about this show, and and the granddaughter says, "'As the immediate family, we feel it's important to be involved with any biopic of my grandma's life.' And it's hard to get any accurate depiction of anyone's life without speaking to the ones closest to them. During the process of writing, directing, and filming this movie, we've reached out to Genius as a a family on multiple occasions where we've been disrespected and told that we will not be worked with. As the immediate family, emphasis on immediate, we do not support this film, and we ask that you do not support this
0: film, as we feel there will be many inaccuracies about my grandmother's life. Cynthia Erivo stars as Aretha Franklin and Courtney B. Vance, the lovely Angela Bassett's husband, plays her father, C.L. Franklin. I personally didn't hear about this project until I started researching this episode. And the Internet has not so great reviews. So maybe the family was right. Not sure. So most of the family, minus one very vocal son, was in favor of the 2021 res- film Respect Sorry, Jennifer Hudson. Um, Hudson was handpicked by Franklin for the role and her casting was officially confirmed in 2018, shortly before the singer's death. But you had a history. Hudson opened for Franklin on tour in the early 2000s. Franklin recognized Hudson's talent and Hudson knew and respected Franklin, making this project a personal one. Mm -hmm. So I saw this film in the theaters and like the first thing I said was like, Jennifer Hudson was literally born to play Aretha Franklin, like her voice and kind of her not. Her life has been, like, pretty tragic, and we maybe could do, like, a little rep on her. But the way, like, record companies work with her, like, her voice is too big for just, like, pop. Gotcha. Like, she does amazing Broadway. She was in Dreamgirls. Have you seen mm-hmm. Dreamgirls? No. We should see Dreamgirls. We should have this, like, a whole black musical day. Um, She's going to be in – either she's going to be in The Color Purple. She was definitely in it on Broadway – and I saw her perform there and just like wept because her voice is amazing but her voice is not her voice is too big for pop so like her records don't really go anywhere because it's like this song is fun but like she should be belting something out like it's, Mm -hmm. it's too much for a CD
1: Activist and longtime friend of Aretha, Jesse Jackson, once said in an interview, when Dr. King was alive, several times she, Aretha, helped us make payroll. On one occasion, we took an 11-city tour with Aretha Franklin and Harry Belafonte, and they put gas in the vans. She did 11 concerts for free and hosted us at her home and did a fundraiser for my campaign. Aretha has always been a very socially conscious artist, an
0: inspiration, not just an entertainer. Franklin grew up hearing about the people who were on the front lines talking about making real change in the civil rights movement. She was empowered and she joined them. She was also so influential to the civil rights movement that Martin Luther King Jr. actually presented Franklin with a special award on behalf of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference just two months before he was assassinated.
1: Franklin offered to post bail for revolutionary activist Angela Davis in 1970, after Davis, a member of the Communist Party, was accused of assisting in a courtroom takeover that ended in four deaths. Franklin said, Angela Davis must go free. Black people will be free. I've been locked up for disturbing the peace in Detroit, and I know you got to disturb the peace when you can't get no peace. Jail is hell to be in. I'm going to see her free if there's any justice in our courts, not because I believe in communism, but because she's a black woman and she wants freedom for black people. I have money. I got it from black people. They've made me financially able to
0: have it, and I want to use it in ways that will help our people. For the support of such a radical figure, Franklin was monitored by the FBI ahead of several performances and appearances that she made for any civil rights groups. I feel like that's how you know that you're doing something right when the FBI gets a wiretap out on you. Right? This is the third person. Uh, Yoko Uno had a wiretap, so did Jane Fonda, and now Aretha Franklin, all watched by the FBI for having opinions.
1: When she wasn't marching, Franklin found a way to push the liberation movement through song. Franklin's music only grew in popularity when she stopped trying to change it for white audiences. That's not to say that she didn't have white listeners. But the record companies she worked with in the earlier days toned her down to be easy listening. When she got the right
0: producer, Wexler in this case, they focused on what Black America was really listening to. Franklin talks about getting money from black people because she was giving them what she wanted. Soul music in its unbleached form. This became a significant and permanent part of popular music. Franklin belted out the notes. She hollered and she put so much emotion into every note. Her way of singing became the standard and a goalpost for artists like Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey and Christina Aguilera. Lyrical content was also important to Franklin. Her cover of Respect was a declaration from a strong,
1: confident woman who demands respect. The song became and remains to this day a battle cry. According to Detroit Free Press critic Brian McCollum, Franklin's song has been dissected in books and academic papers, held up as a groundbreaking feminist and civil rights statement in an era when such declarations weren't always easy to make. But we already said that Franklin was a woman of few words, so when she did speak, it was a statement. It wasn't rambling thoughts. It was how she honestly felt. When she was asked how she felt about taking such a brave stance on feminist and civil rights, Franklin told the Detroit Free Press, I don't think it's bold at all. I think it's quite natural that we all want respect
0: and should get it. Not only did Aretha Franklin earn the respect, she earned recognition and awards. Franklin received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1979. In 1987, she became the first female to be inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She's got so many Grammys. 20- that's absurd though. 1987, the first. I, it's so like that's crazy. But also, like, she's black and she's the first. Like, it's like That's whoa, amazing. That's, that's amazing. amazing. And then but it's like, like the fact
1: that it was 1987 is what I'm- I like.
0: I was born. That's insane. Right. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, there was no, where was everyone else? There were people doing stuff. Like, right? that just seems kind of crazy to me. You're right. I think I, just because she's black, I was like, well, that's pretty cool. It but is she was pretty the first cool. one, but like, the fact that it took so long. We should look and see when they started inducting people. Yeah, that's true. I'm like, I don't what know. if it was like 1986? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you take two years? <laughs> So she's got so many Grammys. She's got 20 Grammys in total, including a Grammy Legend Award that she earned in 1991 and then a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award that was earned in 1994. she got six American Music Awards and four NAACP Image Awards. She's also the first woman to have 100 songs on the Billboard charts. That's wild. Right? That's so many. I mean, she's... She's amazing. Also, like, her career was from, like... Mm -hmm. We just did this math.
1: Yeah. We're not math scientists. You you could figure a out. A long that. time. <laughs> <laughs> that year plus this year equals a long time. Mm-hmm. Franklin was the youngest person to receive the Kennedy Center honors at the age of 52. She was also an activist who spent her adult life campaigning for civil and women's rights from donating to lending her name to organizations. And she earned a Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2005.
0: When Bush was president. Yeah. I That's impressive to me like we've come real far with our presidents but I remember the time where I was like Bush is the worst and he's probably racist and like he I made mean this like now he's just those like just things can still be true. right well, know like he yes, gave that. Yeah. But <laughs> now he's like this sweet old man who wants to hold Michelle Obama's hand and eat mints like <sighs> I still don't trust him. I don't but like also we've seen we've seen yes. so much worse but it's mm-hmm. like man I remember I thought Bush was a problem. Also, in 2005, she was inducted into the Michigan Rock and Roll Legends Hall of Fame and the United Kingdom Music Hall of Fame. Later, she was inducted into the Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame in 2015. Also, these feel like, what took you so long? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was also inducted into the GMA Gospel Music Hall of Fame in 2012. Again, what took you so long?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just because they knew that her career was winding down and they wait for that. If they do that with everyone, then that's one thing. But... I don't know. But I feel like, don't, I'm give, not trying
0: to make excuses for them. Come on. Yeah, give people their flowers when it's like... Early in their career like if you see talent I guess you can't just but like you have to earn Hall of Fame you're right you can't just be like that one thing that you did was great you're in the Hall of Fame like right. you have to prove that you've been you know it's so fair You'll she let it, slide. it I'll let it slide <laughs> Hall of Fame inductee people and the uh, the Gospel Hall of Fame described her as having the voice of the civil rights movement the voice of black America she also overcame alcoholism which is just as noteworthy as winning a Grammy all right so final thoughts takeaways so i definitely never knew how much influence she had like on the civil rights movement like mm. i never thought about respect as a feminist battle cry oh
1: okay yeah. I, that's all i thought of it was but i never thought of it in terms of like the civil rights movement and
0: i think yeah. it can be applied there too right yeah. oh absolutely and now i'm because it was always just like That's a cute, fun song because, like, I listened to it like as a child, so I never really put much thought behind it. And like now, I'm listening to it and being like, "Oh, no, I get it. It makes a lot of sense." And I definitely get it for the civil rights movement too. I definitely grew up thinking that she was just like this original diva. She would like walk on a stage with like her fur coats and like throw them down. But it was like she had a sage persona because she wasn't. That way in real life, but when mm. she hit the stage, like things were different, you know. But she definitely just was a woman who wanted to be treated with respect, and sadly enough, like it took the status of her being famous and her having money to force people to be like, "Oh yes, we'll we'll do whatever you say." Like that sucks that she had to get like she had to be that person mm-hmm. to like get the things that she wanted to happen. But I mean, she still got judged for it. So like you know, yeah, you win some, you lose some. But I think she's she was really great and. I want awesome. to listen to her music again.
1: Honestly, I didn't know most of this stuff about her before we did the episode. I, I really only knew her for her music. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother-in-law's a huge fan, and she does she did know a lot of that stuff. Um, but for me, like, I think that like many of the women we've covered, there's so much to Aretha Franklin's story that we just don't know. And maybe she wanted to keep some of that private. Like, I've got respect for that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean we get to judge her for her life, right? Like The things that happened to her, oh, you know, she was a teen mom. Well, no, that's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, so kind of knowing some of that background, uh, you know, it makes me respect her even more now, which I think is a little bit sad for me on my part. Like, I've respected her for her music, but like Mm -hmm. now there's added layers to it. And I think that sometimes that's all it takes is us taking the moment to actually learn about someone before we go jumping to conclusions,
0: that's literally our whole podcast,
1: right? That's you
0: just did it. Bam. I did it.
1: We're done. We solved it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, a couple of resources and references: uh, Aretha Franklin, Little, the Little Known Traumas That Fueled Her Music by Julie Miller, David Ritz, Respect: The Life of Aretha Franklin, The Counterfeit Queen of Soul by Jeff Mays, and How Aretha Franklin Earned and Deserved Her Diva Reputation
1: by Lisa Robinson.
0: I also want to plug the 2021 movie respect with Jennifer Hudson. It's great. I don't know where it is for you to watch it. I didn't do that bit of research. Um, but you should watch it if you can. I think it's great. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Do you have any suggestions for women that we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod.
1: Send us a message or email us at bigreputationspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear
0: from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcast. Share us with your friends, your family, or your natural women. Subscribe and leave a five star review.
1: Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase.
0: And remember, we have a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash BigReputationsPod or check out the link in our Linktree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you'll get a shout-out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have
1: exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini-episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Roberta Flack. Stick around after the episode where we'll share
0: a teaser from that little rep episode. All right. You got a quote to wrap us up with this week, Kim? I do. And this one's from Aretha. And I think it's like so fitting. She says, you cannot define a person just on one thing. You can't just forget all these wonderful and good things that a person has done because one thing didn't come off the way that you thought it should come off. That's something to think about. Mm -hmm. And as always, believe women. So today's little rep is Roberta Cleopatra Flack, an American singer who topped the billboard charts numerous times throughout her career and influenced the subgenre of contemporary R&B called Quiet Storm. She was born February 10th, 1937. That feels like so long ago. I she mean, it, it was, right? Like, yeah, this I guess. 80. Like,
1: I'm not a math scientist, but I think yeah. it's like 80 something years. <laughs>
0: So she was born in North Carolina, but she grew up in Arlington, Virginia.